My name is Tony, and I was in a cult for over a decade. And my name is Lindsay, and my sister was in a cult for over a decade. And now I'm out. Lindsay and my family helped get me out, and we have created a podcast. Playing in Traffic. We interview survivors of the Wimscog. We cover topics of healing and topics of all things about cults. So tune in, like, subscribe, whatever all that means, and enjoy the process of deconstruction. Welcome to Playing in Traffic. This is our disclaimer song. This is our disclaimer song. It's our opinion. Don't sue us. Don't sue us. If you didn't want us to make a podcast about you, then you probably shouldn't have started a religion where you brainwashed people and separated them from your family, so it's kind of your fault. But don't sue us. Don't sue us. You know who you are, so don't do it. Don't sue us. Hi guys, welcome to Playing in Traffic. Hi, welcome. We have a very special guest today. It's Thanksgiving break, so we have all of our families with us. Today we have my little boy here with us. Say hi. Hello. Hello. Hi. Hi. Welcome, Welcome to our podcast this week. We have exciting news and exciting updates this week, so we're happy to be here. Yeah. Um, you guys, you know this this cult expert, Stephen Hassan? He's the one that wrote Combating Cult Mind Control. I emailed him just thinking, okay, you know, maybe he's going to read it one day. He and we've been using his book. bite model. Right. We've been exploring his bite model. And this book has been like a total, you know, um, life-changing thing for me to read. And he emailed me back and he's been super supportive and super helpful and helping me to connect with other uh, former members. And um, it's been really nice because I'm starting to get these different connections with people and hearing their, you know, similar, almost identical stories has really been cool. Yay. That is so exciting. Yeah, so that's been exciting. And I've been able to come in contact with other, um, yeah, other people and just share stories. And so that's been really cool. You know, it's all kind of coming together and all part of the healing process. So thank you guys so much for all your support, all your listens, all, you know, it's been really All cool. the emails. Yeah. It's been exciting, guys. Yeah, so today we want to talk about what it, it was like leaving and how all that came about. And um, yeah, I think a lot of people are curious about what it's like to leave and how that happens. As I'm talking to people and kind of hearing people's experiences, I'm learning that um, I'm learning that um, it's not that easy to leave. And even when I look back at my own story, I can see that I was struggling for years and years and years to try to just get out. So, you know, I think it's important that we talk about that. Yeah, writing out the timeline for this was interesting because it's 
over the course of a few years. It's not just like, and then she woke up one day and she was like, I'm going to leave today. It's, it's kind of a process. So, right. For me personally, it was a process. So I just want to kind of start off with like a timeline of, you know, sort of what happened and then we can go through it all a little bit. So, um, in 2012, we were living in a house church. We were the leaders of a house church. And there was a big prophecy that was supposed to happen. It didn't really happen. So, you know, that was sort of strange. And then we we had like a lot of events that were happening. And so, you know, it was just that whole cycle of like not being able to sleep, you know, no privacy, no personal time, like not eating well and all that. And um, so in about 2013, I got really sick in my stomach. Like I started getting these really crazy stomach pains and I kept going to the doctor over and over again. And I went to the emergency room and, you know, they kept doing all these tests and, you know, all these different things on me and they could not figure out what was wrong with me. And I had to have a procedure done. And so I couldn't drive or anything. So my mom had to take me and I had to come stay at her house and lay on her couch and get better. And it was only for like a day or two. And my mommy is the best at taking care of sick people. Okay. Even to this day, when we are sick, we want to go lay on our mom's couch. Yes. If I get an ear infection, that's like, I want to go lay in mom's bathtub without the water and on the cold, cold porcelain. For sure. Thank you, mommy, for taking Mom, such yeah. good care of us. So, you know what, for, you know, I hadn't really been away from the church, like without a schedule, without a strict timeline of where I need to be in that moment. And so I was able to like take a nap and not worry about, you know, anything or anybody else. And so that was like the first time that I was able to just sort of step out for a minute you know, even if it was just for like 24 hours, it was very refreshing. And it always sort of stuck with me like, hmm, maybe this is the way that I'm supposed to be. You know, maybe this is not healthy on my body. Anyway, they never found anything wrong with me. And so then I just kind of kept going and going and going. And then I got pregnant with my second baby, which for me was very exciting. Um, but I, I definitely felt like a change and like members feelings towards me when I got pregnant, nobody was ever like, you know, you shouldn't have a baby, but it was sort of like understood that if you're a church leader, you know, you really shouldn't have more children because it kind of takes up your time, takes up your energy. You know, you don't have enough time for, you know, church activities and church work. From my online research. So I'm not saying that, Tony has ever said this about anybody directly, but I have watched the videos of the women who have said that they were told it's like child abuse to have a baby at the end of the world because you're bringing your baby at the end times knowingly. And they would really discourage it and they would kind of like hint at like abortion is always an option. So that's from like my online research of other people's stories not anything specific that happened to Tony. So when she got pregnant, there are rumors that women were told, you know, it's better to have an abortion if you get pregnant. And the thing is, is that they really genuinely believe that it's the last days and that in the last days, there's going to be like 
war and disaster and famine and there won't be food and there won't be water and it's going to be terrible. So why would you ever want to bring a child into this world? And that's like a genuine fear. And that was a genuine fear for me. Actually, my children are very far apart. I had my first son in 2007 and then I didn't have my second one until 2015. It's a lot of years because that whole time I was afraid to have a baby in this world. But then it's like, okay, guys, the end of the world is not happening. I do. I'm getting older. I want to have another baby. So we had another baby. And um, it's not like anybody directly says to you like, oh my God, why are you having another baby? It's more just like subtly ignoring you, not inviting you to these special meetings, not being involved in certain church activities. Um, yeah. Just sort of being left out, you know? And so after that, so then I had my baby and I was so happy, you know, but I was so stressed because I was starting to feel like two different people, you know, like, I was starting to have an outside quote unquote life and then a church life. So what I would do is I would just live my life. And then whenever there would be a service or a feast, I would go to the church service and scurry away like as fast as I could. So what you do is you go to the church service because you have to get your blessings. And then you just like scurry away to your car really fast because people treat you weird like everybody kind of looks at you weird. You know that there's rumors about you. You know that people think that you're being sinful or whatever it is that they're being told about you. And and it's weird, you know, and there's not a lot of support. It's like you're you're not doing church work if you're not like fully immersed in it. There's not a lot of support for you. So it feels very strange. All the relationships feel very weird after that. And so there was one specific moment that I really, really remember, and it was uh, during one of the feasts, it was a day of Pentecost. And that's a day when you're supposed to really receive the Holy Spirit. Okay. And it was like on a Sunday and I had my boys and we, we, you have to have, they have service at 5am, 9am, 3pm and 8pm all in one day. And that's after like, a week of keeping 5 a.m. service and then 8 p.m. service every single day you get together and you have like a prayer service and you read from a book every day and you go preaching. And so that's like the day that you're supposed to get the Holy Spirit. Well, my husband, he was already sort of out and we were supposed to be celebrating something. I can't really remember what it was, but um, he wanted to go do something. He wanted to go like on a date. He wanted to go gambling. And I really felt at that moment, like, for the first time, like really split, you know, I was split into two different people. Like one hand, it was a holy day and I needed to go be blessed by God or else I'm, you know, I'm not going to go to heaven. On the other hand, I really want to spend time with my husband and I really want to go gambling. That's something that we really enjoy doing. We like to go to the mountains and just go and enjoy the fresh air and just have some time together. And so I was conflicted and I was so tired. I had a brand new baby. He wasn't sleeping well. And, um, I was driving home from Pentecost in between the service and it was like a 45 minute drive. It was a long drive. And I was so stressed, like the height of my anxiety. And I think I was at, I was on the phone with you, Lindsay, mm -hmm. and I was driving and all of a sudden I just got tunnel vision and I got really scared. I got sweaty and shaky and I got tunnel vision and I got really nervous and I got 
just started feeling really strange. And I was almost home. I was like five minutes from home. I was on the phone with my sister, with Lindsay, and I got home and I was like, oh my God, something happened to me. And I swear to you, I thought I was having a stroke or like a brain aneurysm or something. I was really scared. So we, you know, rushed to the doctor and they checked me out and everything in that moment was okay. You know, it wasn't anything serious. So then I went to all these specialists after that because I just felt really weird. Like I didn't, I had a lot of brain fog, like just all of these really strange things. I just felt really strange. Like I wasn't really in my right mind. I was sort of confused. I had a hard time remembering words and it was like continuously happening. I went to like an ENT doctor. I went to a neurologist. I went to all these doctors. I had brain scans, CAT scans, all these things happen. They checked my heart. Like I got this, like all this stuff. And they ended up diagnosing me with migraines, like complicated, um, you know, migraine disease. It's actually a very complicated neurological disease. And, and it turned out to be migraines and severe anxiety and later manifested into panic attacks. And you guys, this happened for years. I was continuously fighting this anxiety and these panic, panic attacks and this brain fog. It was like a continuous cycle. And it was all because of these phobias and these fears. And I, as I was trying to leave and as I was like trying to understand these two different identities i was just like at this really strange crossroads and it lasted for years and years and years and one of the things that you mentioned was that the doctors were like are you under are you under any stress and at the time you were like no i'm not like right so like you didn't really like see the church as being stressful you didn't really see that that was giving you anxiety at the time at the time, the doctors would continuously ask, do you think it's possible that you're you're living a, in a stressful time of life? Like you just had a baby. And I would always say no. Like I was very defensive about it. And it was hard because even if I wanted to explain to them that I was trying to get out of a cult, like, like I wasn't even at that point in my life where I could even verbalize that. Do you know what I mean? I couldn't even express that to them. It wasn't even in my thought process that that could be what was wrong. I was convinced that there was something wrong with my body. Something was wrong with me. I had a brain tumor. I had an aneurysm. I had something wrong with my heart. Something was wrong with my body. But, you know, actually, actually, you know, finally, after years later of a lot of different things, you know, a lot of different things cannabis and yoga and family connections and a lot of different things, um, which we're going to talk about later, you know, I was able to look back and see, oh my God, that was anxiety. That was panic attacks, you know, and I cannot believe how it manifested inside of my body. Can I read you guys something? Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess. I guess. Okay, thank you. <laughs> I have more to say about how I left. Okay, so right now in the story, we're sort of like in the process of me leaving. So this is from like 2015 to about 2019. So I'm still sort of in and out, okay? And what I realize now looking back is when you're in there, you have a total disconnect between your mind and your body. And I'm sure that's done on purpose. I'm sure that's all part of the process. But like you're taught that your body is sinful, that you're two different parts, 
you're a physical body and a spiritual body. And the most important thing is your spiritual body. And so you really like disconnect from your physical body. You have no concept of a mind body connection. Do you know what I mean? Which looking back, that's really dangerous. Yeah. So you're taught that your body is sinful. And so it's like disgusting and you, you know, you don't need to like make it all beautiful. You don't need to like worry about it. You know, you don't really like need to go to the doctor, not saying that they say don't go to the doctor, but like, it's not really a priority. Like if you have extra time, you're not going to go to the doctor. You're going to go preaching. Do you know what I mean? So it just sort of like snowballs to where like, you're not really taking care of the dentist appointments. You're not really taking care of your doctor's appointments, you know? And so little by little, yeah, you do get sick. But okay, my favorite cult expert, Stephen Hassan, he wrote in his book, okay, and I, I do want to read a little quote from it, and I give all credit to him. This is in his um, Combating Cult Mind Control, and this is in his chapter. It is chapter, let me just look it up really quick, you guys. This is in uh, chapter four, Understanding Mind Control, and it says that he explains how we have two different identities, the cult identity And then, quote, unquote, our real identity, which is our real person inside of us. And our real person inside of us is constantly trying to get out and kind of like break through that cult identity. So he explains that sometimes it's manifested through disease in your body and through sickness. So let me just read this part. Okay, this is on page 74. It says, it is the real identity deep down inside that sees and records contradictions, questions and disillusioning experiences. And it says, it still always amazes me, even though I had this experience myself during my deprogramming, that during the later stages of an intervention, my clients are able to verbalize very specific, very specific negative incidents that occurred while they were members. Um, It says, he has seen time and again in my exit counseling work that the real self holds the keys to what it will take to undo the mind control process. It says, indeed, this real self is responsible for creating the frequent psychosomatic illnesses that cult members experiences. I have met people who have developed severe skin problems, which excuse them from getting the grueling work schedule and gave them a chance to sleep. I have seen people develop asthma as well as severe allergic reactions in order to seek outside medical attention and help. The real self exerts itself in other ways, too. So... It's like there's a real self in us that's trying to get out and it literally makes your body sick to stop you to sort of stop that cycle that um, that pattern like we're learning about I'm learning a lot about patterns. And so when you're in a cult, you're just stuck in a constant pattern and in that is sleep deprivation and such a rigid schedule from 5 a.m. to 1 in the morning, you have every single minute laid out. You have no time to rest, no time to stop. And you literally need something to stop you in your tracks. And for me, that was when my stomach got sick. And then that was also when I got pregnant. And also when I had migraines, it was like my body was manifesting all these things to stop me in my tracks. And so when I was sick, I was able to read, to think, to sleep, to talk to my family, to listen to outside information and to sort of, it's called deprogramming where you're able to get outside of that bubble of propaganda and that false reality and to come into this new reality. So I think that that is so interesting 
you know, so fascinating. So that's what happened to me in my slow, slow exit of this, you know, organization. Yeah, that yours is fascinating too, because you're like doing it internally. Like it wasn't like any of us, like, we're like, okay, Tony, that's it. You're done. We're, we're done with this. You're coming, you're coming on this retreat oh, no. or anything. And that's a way so for a lot of people to get out. And that is, you know, an effective way is some, some type of intervention like that. Yeah. And I think that you guys were constantly trying to do some type of intervention and trying to help me, you know, just being patient. Yeah. But in my personal experience, I did really keep it quiet. It was a, it was really like a personal quiet um, exit for me, something that I just sort of struggled with internally within my own little husband and my children and my own family. Yeah, I something do. that I was ever really public about. But now being public about this, I can see how healing it is. And it's so helpful to, to verbalize it because a lot of the stuff I haven't really dealt with until I'm speaking about it. It's so helpful. I'm, I'm trying to remember the first time I remember. I remember being on the phone with you and it was like the first time you ever were like, I don't really go to church as often as I used to. Like not, not even to be like I'm coming out of it, but just. It was embarrassing. It was embarrassing to say because I had been so stubborn. Yeah. I have to keep the Sabbath day holy. Like I cannot, you know, like I had missed people's weddings. I had, you know, and now all of a sudden I just wasn't going. And so I felt bad about that. I was embarrassed to tell my family because I had fought with them for so long. And now I was like not even going at all. So I was constantly, you know, dealing with this. But when I hear other people's stories of people who are in, you know, New York, people who are in Peru, people who are in the Philippines, who are in the same church as me, they also, they deal with these, you know, severe mental illness problems like PTSD and all these problems trying to leave. And it's just so sad. And I, I just want to raise awareness of how real that is, you guys, stress and anxiety and if something is wrong in your life, it will manifest inside of your body. Your body will tell you something is wrong and you need to listen. You need to, you need to stop, be quiet and just listen because your body is trying to tell you something. And I wish I would have listened a long time ago, but anyway, here I am now, right? Better late than never. Yeah, you did it. But I mean, it was like these migraines that I experienced were no joke. I mean, they would make me dizzy and I couldn't drive and I had severe phobias and I was, you know, afraid of feeling awkward, afraid of being awkward. I mean, there's just so many things and, you know, it's like you're you, everything that, that you had known. Do you want to touch again a little bit on the like final, final, like, the yes, yes. Okay. So, right. So, so this is all kind of happening. So then what happened was COVID hit in 2020 and Passover was coming. And up until then I had kept Passover every single year since I was baptized and me and my boys too. Um, but so COVID was happening and honestly, you guys, I was so scared. I was so, I was in the fear at that moment because we were told that, you know, the end of the world was coming and so many disasters were happening and all this was going on. Okay. And then I'm watching the news and like, all that was amplified for so long in my brain, you know, and I'm seeing, I'm seeing like this great, huge disaster taking over the whole world. And so I started getting scared. And honestly, I wanted to go back. 
Like I was ready to go back. I was ready to like, I'm like, I need to go back. I need to go study the Bible, even though it feels a little bit weird. Like, like this is God's sign. God is coming, you know, and I was still in contact with some of the members. And so I was ready for Passover. Well, then like a week before Passover comes, I got some messages from several members letting me know that I could not keep the Passover because I was not being a faithful member, that it had been decided that only faithful members could keep the Passover that year. The Passover, you guys, you need to understand the um, magnitude of this because Passover was the way to be protected from any kind of disaster. Passover is a way of salvation. Like this is their main teaching. But now they were telling me that we were not allowed to keep it because we were not keeping service and we were not tithing. We were not being faithful members, so we could not keep the Passover. We could keep second Passover, which was like a month later. But I kept getting messages from the members like, so sorry, you can't keep this Passover. Maybe we'll still be here and you can keep the next Passover. Implying like, maybe father will come by then. Maybe we'll be in heaven. It might be too late for you then. You know, I hope it's not too late. We're going to be okay, but you might not be. You and your kids might not be. You know, and it's just like, what? I was so scared because, you know, I don't know. I just, it's hard to explain, but I was just so scared. But at that moment, that's when I realized that, that it's all about fear, that they were just trying to scare me. There's something that cannot be right. There's something that I just noticed in this conversation right here. When, when your husband wanted to go gambling, your fear of not participating in the Pentecost feast was that you couldn't get blessings to go to heaven. Right. And it's so unattainable. It's like all of the things that you possibly one human can't do all of them. Like I know that Passover, but you can though people do it. Well, they do it and then they lose their minds after 10 years. Right. Like it's burnout, you know, like I, I just feel like it's so un, 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 unsustainable. It is, it is unsustainable. And that's like, why you, you were saying Pentecost. I felt so guilty because I needed my blessings to go to heaven. I needed right. to go preaching so I could go to heaven. And it's like, they're constantly telling you, like, if you don't do this one tiny, it's like such an abusive it is. mentally, like, like messing with, you, you know, Passover, but Passover is like the ultimate thing, but like preaching is also the ultimate thing. Live it, you know, tithing is, but really tithing is like the actual ultimate thing to them, right? right. Like the, the real reason why you probably couldn't celebrate was because you weren't paying your dues to the church. I know. Well, looking back now, you can see that, but when you're in it, yeah, yeah. it all makes sense because every feast has a purpose. There's seven feasts and every feast has a blessing of God. And, you know, if you, you have to keep them all. And so it was in that moment when I was like, oh my God, these people are just trying to scare me. They are just trying to scare me to stay. And I don't want to be scared. I want to believe in something because I believe I want to believe in something because it makes me happy. It makes me a better person. It makes me feel peace. I don't want to believe in something because I'm scared to go to hell. And a lot of, it's not just this religion that does that. A lot of religions do this and they control by fear. And it's such a, um, it's such a successful tactic that, you know, it's so widely used. But it was in that moment that I was like, no, I cannot do this anymore. I cannot live by fear. If I want to believe in this church, I'll believe in it because I want to, because I feel love. I'm not going to believe in it because I'm scared. 
And, and that was, I never kept Passover again. And then this year Passover came. And to be honest, I was feeling like, Oh no, it was that Passover when the Passover came and went right. 2020, I was feeling nervous. And also this year, knowing that it had come and went, you know, because I got, I got messages, Passover is coming. Everybody get ready for Passover, but no, I'm done. (laughs) You know, like I'm done with them playing with my emotions and playing and like using my children's blessings, you know, over my head. Like they were constantly using, I was constantly feeling guilty about my children's salvation, not just my own. And it's like, I can't control any of that. Nobody can can control any of that. So that was my final straw. That's when I left. And then, you know, through lots of other ways, you know, I was able to um, finally come to like YouTube videos. One of the things that really helped me as I was coming out of it was just sort of like listening about other cults, quote unquote cults and sort of their doctrines and how similar they were to ours. When I saw how similar other religions were to ours, like as far as like having a father and mother, calling each other brother and sister, having communal living, like sort of those general broad things. Like I was learning about Jonestown and I was learning about um, Waco and I was learning about um, the Heaven's Gate people and just sort of seeing like how their their leadership was, how their structures were, how their living situations were and how it was so similar to ours. That really helped me a lot. And then, you know, obviously reading some books and talking to a few people that I knew um, has just been so helpful in leaving. But I just want people to understand that leaving, leaving these kinds of places, leaving these kinds of, you know, abusive relationships, it is not easy. Um, just seeing those similarities was really interesting and really, really helpful. Like, because you, you think that your teaching is so um, unique. Yeah, it's the truth. But then when you see like other people are using the same Bible to make their own truth that is so similar to yours, you're like, okay, well, we've been we've been doing a lot of research for an upcoming episode because we want to do like a really good in-depth like history of Christianity, Christianity in Korea and sort of how this this religion was able to like evolve into what it is now. And in doing that, we've both discovered there's like. 98 different versions of almost the identical story of, of your church. And that to me was fascinating because in, in the West, we're like, this is so weird. I've never heard of this like concept before. Yeah. But, but even like, in the West, even in the West, there are so many oh, and maybe not even religion, I mean, but like, what do they call them now? MLM multi, uh, what is that called? Multi-level oh, marketing groups or something yeah. where it's more like a like, business, like, like Nexium and things like yeah. that. Yeah. Where they use more like a business model as opposed to a religious model, but it's all the same thing and it's all the same tactics that they're using. Yeah. So it's all the same. So, you know, it's just so crazy, but looking back, you know, I think the most interesting thing for me was just how my body was trying to express something. And I just, I didn't know how to listen. You know, that's not really something that we're taught. We're not really taught how to like listen to our intuition. You know what I mean? And when you're just in that constant loop, then you just have, you need something to stop it. You need some, some kind of dramatic thing to get you out. So that was really interesting. And I just want people to understand like panic attacks and anxiety is no joke. Like 
you know, um, luckily I haven't had a panic attack in a while, but they are really scary, you know, and they can happen at any time at any moment. What I learned is that memories can be stored in any part of your body. So this is something I think I learned from the Oprah book. What happened to you? We read this amazing book and I think it was in that book. It was talking about how when a traumatic thing happens to you, um, you know, it's, it can be stored in your, your senses, whether it's your sense of smell, your sense of sight, your, you know, all the sense of taste. And so sometimes your brain forgets things, you know, and it's not really stored inside of your memory. It's stored inside of that sense of that part of your body. And so later as you're living your life, you may smell something or hear something or taste something. And in your brain, you know, it takes you back to that exact moment. And you're you're like freaking out and I have no idea why, but your brain is like, I'm having a memory that's really traumatic. And your brain thinks that you're in danger. And so it's trying to protect you. And so when you have a panic attack, you know, all of your organs, all of your senses go to protecting you to that fight or flight response or freeze even. And um, yeah, so for me personally, like my heart would race just suddenly out of nowhere. My heart would race, you know, um, like sweating and you just feel like you can't breathe. You get tunnel vision. You just feel like you're about to die, like something really dangerous is happening to you. And what happens is your your immediate response is to like panic and like, oh, my God, something's wrong with me. Oh, my God, I'm going to pass out. Oh, my God, I'm going to die. But because you're doing that, you're making it worse. And so I'm sort of like learning how to, you know, you know go with it and learn from that panic and just sort and of like with it and experience it. And, you know, and then, and then teach yourself that you're okay and that you're safe, but yeah. it's a whole process, you know? And it's like, ugh. it's like your body reacts before you can explain to your brain that you're safe. Right. And so you're physically, you're physically like, yeah. It's if you guys are interested in learning about this, yeah. If you guys are interested in learning more about this, let us know and we'll talk about it more because it's yeah. really interesting. Yeah. We can put the link to the book, I think. I don't know. I don't know if we can do that, but I think we can. Yeah. That's a great one. I think so, everybody that for every situation. Yeah. I do want, I think the next episode, well, one of our next episodes, I want to talk about healing, you know, the process of healing, some things that were helpful to me that might be helpful to other people, you know, um, Oh, if you guys great. if you guys want to like write in or let us know some things that you you know might have um that might have helped you to get out of yeah. an abusive relationship or an abusive coal or any type of situation like that let us know we would love i am always open for new ideas or you know new suggestions on things to help us because you know, this is my experience with the cult, but we are all going through these types of, you know, hardships and experiences. So we just I've been wanting to say this word for like two, like a week and a half now. I just say it. Okay. The word sonder. I love that new word. Ooh, that's a good one. Sonder. It's like when you realize when you're walking down the street that the stranger passing you is having a complex an intricate life just like you are mm. it's that moment of like connectedness like all of us are in these complex stories mm. and I feel like some of this podcast not everybody who's listening or even here talking right now me have experienced being in a cult and having to leave that but like we can connect in the complexities of all of our own lives of our own unique situations on this together right and I but think I- 
beautiful. That's humanity. I love that. That is beautiful. I I think about that a lot. Like sometimes just driving down the street and I'm just like, oh my God, everybody in these specific houses has their own life, their own trauma, their own problems, their own joys and happiness. And it's also complicated. But Lindsay, I do want to say one thing really quick is like, you were affected by a cult. Like you need to also own that. And like, I think that you and the family also like had trauma from it. You know, and I do think that that's also something that you guys need to heal from. Like somebody involved in a cult, it does not just affect that one person. It affects all the people involved. Like so many, you know, family members, parents and siblings and grandparents, you know, it affects everybody and it, it gives everybody a little bit of trauma. So I just want to like talk about that and, you know, just say that. That is true. I definitely had moments when you started to come out of it. And I would just get so excited. Like, I forgot how much my sister means to me outside of how just awesome like, I am. yeah, no, really. Like, you were such an important role in my life. And right. it's not like you weren't while you were there, but you know, I had kind of just it was been different. like, I don't, know, I don't know what to do about that. Like, I can't control what my sister's doing, you know. Right. And I missed you. And I didn't even realize that I was like off living my rock star life, like rock being star, wild. Yeah doing things that didn't make me feel good as a person. Aww, and then as you were coming out of it and you were you were examining my life as it was, you were like, hey, like you're really wild. You need to like kind of chill out and make better choices. And I was like, you know what? Everybody has been telling me that, but because you say it, it like means Aww, something more. Right. And uh, so you like, yeah, it did affect me because I was just like living unchecked with my older sister not giving me the like life advice for you know however long like 10 years right that's so, so sad you, i'm so sorry i think that's important for you to feel sorry i i just say like you you i i got lost in how important your role in my life was too while you were in, in there until you came out and i was like oh my sister is my best friend i love her <laughs> i think sibling relationships are very important that's an important thing to say because siblings can kind of call you out on your crap they can call you out and tell you, you know, hey, yeah. you're being ridiculous. And like, you can take it better from a sibling, from a brother or sister than you can from really anybody else. Really? Yeah. That's well, in our dynamic, I mean, every family is different, but in our, yeah. in our dynamic, I feel like that's, you know, how it is. Yeah. So your parents saying like, hey, you're being really wild. You need to, you need to calm down. You're like, don't tell me what to do. I'm an adult. And then your right. sister says it and you're like, oh, for sure. Fine. Let's go. For sure. So yeah, yeah thank so you. I Thanks think that we all. I missed you. Yeah, you're welcome. So I think yeah, that's kind of the process of my personal experience leaving. I know that there's a lot, of, you know, there's different ways to come out, but for me, that's the way. And um, you know, it's not about leaving; it's about about freeing your mind. It's not about leaving the building or leaving the church. It's about freeing your mind from their, you know, their version of reality their version of what's going to happen in the future, you know, um, nobody knows what's going to happen in the future. So I don't need to be confined to that, to that worldview. You know, I can have my own life, my own worldview. So, yeah. So coming up in a few days is Thanksgiving. It's Thanksgiving. Oh, do you guys want to hear about Thanksgiving? Let me tell you one more quick story about Thanksgiving while I was in the church. Um, We never mean to make these episodes so long. It just sort of happens. Yeah. But, um, 
well, I don't know. I was in the church for maybe, I don't know, four years, three or four years. And that whole time we didn't celebrate Thanksgiving. Yeah. Like, sorry, guys, Thanksgiving is pagan. We're not celebrating that. It was really strict. We weren't allowed to celebrate any holidays, really. So we were just like told, you know, don't celebrate Thanksgiving. Yeah. And what would you guys always say? We were like, um, that's ridiculous. It's not a religious holiday. Like Christmas, Easter, that makes sense, Halloween. Yeah. Whatever. We're like, give us Thanksgiving. It doesn't, it's give not even like a, like a, you know. Right. You know what? We were shown these things about, I think it was FDR. Um, I'm not exactly sure, guys, but I think it was FDR who made it like an official holiday. And um, and it did sort of sort of have like religious things behind it. But um, then all of a sudden we were told one year that we were allowed to go eat on Thanksgiving. They were like, "Um, as long as it's not a religious ceremony, then you're allowed to go eat dinner with your family. So all of a sudden it was allowed. So mm-hmm. honestly, I was excited because I was like, yeah, I'm going to go eat with my family. But I was also like a little bit embarrassed because I'm like, uh, what am I going to say to them? Like, obviously, this is not what I've been saying all these years. And now all of a sudden I'm allowed to come. Yeah. So that was a little bit. You do sort of have like this thing where you, I don't know, you want to like save face or something. You don't want to look stupid because you said one thing and now you're doing another thing. So that was very weird. Yeah. And it was it was funny how you guys approached it. You were like, oh, no, we've been allowed to this whole time. We just misunderstood what they were teaching us. Yeah. Like you, took the, you took the blame of it. Like, we well, that's what they would say. So the leaders would the leaders would tell us, oh, you must have misunderstood. You've always been allowed to go eat dinner with your family. That's no problem. Eating dinner with your family. No problem. So they would kind of like switch it and then make us feel like we had misunderstood this yeah. whole time. And so then I'd go back to my family and be like, oh, well, we misunderstood. So, you know, we're allowed to keep Thanksgiving now. And I think that you guys really held your tongue because you were just happy that we were there. Yes. Enjoy. And that. Or your um, or yourself if you're just like yeah. rocking it on your own. My my son would like to send a message to y'all. Do you guys Happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> Happy Thanksgiving, you guys. We will talk we'll, to you next time. We'll see you guys next time. Hey, hey, son. Hey, get your son over here. Yes. You want to yeah. say boom? Say boom, baby. Say it. That's what we say at the end of the thing. Boom, baby. Yeah.